This is Journey Under 30, your roadmap drawn in discovery. I'm Colin Parker. I'm Alex Taylor. And this is our podcast all about the journey to becoming a 30 under 30 named by Forbes. Uh, So the basic premise of this podcast is that uh, I'm still currently a college student at Loyola University, New Orleans. And while in an arts and entertainment marketing class, I was told to come up with a major goal of mine for three to five years from now. I have a lot of goals that are one to two years, and I hadn't really thought of anything long term. And while kind of searching for what it was that I wanted to be aiming for, I happened to be listening to a podcast that both Alex and I love called My Brother, My Brother and Me. And but Bim Bam that, for short. Yes, Bim Bim Bam for short. Uh, and in that, Griffin McElroy was named a 30 under 30 media luminary. And I thought to myself, that is the kind of goal that I would love to aim for. Uh, you know, I was thinking you were going to go into What a Wonderful World, but that was, sorry. Anyway, back into your... Thing. Yeah. So basically the premise of this show uh, was just that like, you know, I want to start trying to, you know, I, I think that I have the tools to create a media empire. Certainly. Um, and, you know, it's like, why wait for someone else to name me a 30 under 30? Like, I should just start like going for it. You just because call I think yourself that's... a luminary already. You're exactly. already there. I'm already there. I'm already there, baby. Forbes, call me. No, um, but it's just that thing of like, you know, if you can see it in your mind's eye, you could most likely make it happen. Yeah. Um, and so this podcast is just all about kind of road mapping how others got there and how we ourselves might be able to get there. Uh, and with that, I brought this project to Alex. Yes. And when Con brought this project to me, I initially thought it was a joke. So going back to the McElroy Brothers, they have a podcast called The McElroy Brothers Will Be in Trolls 2. It's a retroactive look at how the McElroy Brothers got into the movie Trolls 2, a movie that has not been released yet. This um, podcast later took a more serious turn and became a way to analyze not only how others have achieved their own success and getting to the Forbes 30 under 30 list, but how I could also apply that to my own direction. So as Colin mentioned, he's currently in school. I'm currently not in school. And I've been trying to figure out, you know, what is it that I ultimately want to do? I have a couple threads that I've been pulling at through music, um, live sound, stage managing, and teaching. But I'm really not sure, like, what is the best approach to get to what is it that I want to do? With this podcast, it could it could it provide me an opportunity to, you know, figure out, like, what is it that I want to end up doing? Because, you know, if you see where other people end up, that could give you an idea of, you know, what you where you go so yeah nice so uh <laughs> alex <laughs> so alex you know what have you been working on this week then to kind of help you along on this journey well this week i have been working well so as i'm doing more audio editing for a lot of our videos um hint hint we have a youtube channel called the scavengers network um i've been going through different methods of uh, editing audio not only with just like trimming things down but also making things sound the best that they can sound and i've been looking at some of my old um college textbooks for like different ideas and hey if you want to edit vocals to sound like this then try this i've also been working on practice mixes because i figure if i want to be making more music for this group then i should be able to make not only be able to make something quickly but also know how to make it sound good i mean if it doesn't if it if you put in bad it's not going to sound good 
but you know, just get into the process of making more things. So, right. If yeah. you try to if you try to polish a turd, you're just going to get a shiny turd. Yeah, and if you make more shiny turds, then eventually you're going to make something gold. So, how about you, call somebody? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, so, um, yeah, this week I've been doing kind of a lot of things. I've been reading through a couple of books uh, that were kind of suggested to me um, by you know uh, a teacher who is helping me on this journey, uh, mm-hmm. who was the one that said, hell yes, I totally think that that's a goal. You should go for it. Let's talk about it. Um, so he gave me uh, some suggestions on some books like The Clue Train Manifesto, mm. Make It Stick, and uh, a book called Sprint. Um, I've been working through Sprint uh, this week. Uh, but the thing that... Um, I, I think the two things that have kind of stuck out the most to me this week mm-hmm. have been um, while making my marketing plan for getting my name out there and becoming this 30 under 30. Uh, this week, I, I decided that the focus uh, for my third week of this plan was to just start addressing my, you know, physical and like mental health. Um, you know, I do yeah. a lot of work, whether mm-hmm. it's school like my work study or scavengers network stuff. Right. So, you know, I just, I do a lot of stuff and I have a long-term relationship. Um, and so it's just like, there's just a lot that that's happening in my day to day and I could very easily, you know, burn out if I'm not careful. Um, easily. And because of that, I also am always on the go. So I don't always have the healthiest habits. So this week has been all about kind of addressing that and trying to come up with a better thing. Uh, just before we've recorded this, in fact, I went out and I walked five miles in like nice. 93 degree heat, um, which was like, it felt good, but at the same time, man, was it draining. Understandably. Um, but the other thing that stuck out to me this week was a quote um, that was said on the internet. Uh, so for me, there's a phrase that I've kind of always been a fan of, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I've been quoting it since I was like in high school. Which is, if you love what you do, you never have to work a day in your life. Yeah. I used to think that that was awesome because, to me, that I was like, you know, if I can make the scavengers network, like, my job, Mm -hmm. then, sorry, if I can make it both my job and my work, you know, combining those two, then I would never have to work a day in my life. Yeah, certainly. But then, uh, Stephen Suptic of Sugar Pine 7 they uh sugar pine seven won a streaming for show of the year mm-hmm. um streamies are basically like the emmys of the internet hmm. uh and so they won a streamy for show of the year which uh according to them they did not even come close to expecting to win yeah. um cool. and so in their video all about that mm-hmm. uh he quoted the phrase that I already said and then said, but no matter how much you love what you do, you'll always have to work and you have to work hard. And sometimes 15 hour days seem like a lot more work than love. But someday when you're sitting with all the people you love most, all those hours you spent working turns into a moment like this. And that really resonated with me, especially as someone who's always loved that other initial phrase. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I've definitely, what's that? However you say it. Exactly. <laughs> and so I've definitely been thinking about that actually for the last like five days, basically at this point. You know, that, that idea of go into something that you love and then you won't have to work a day in your life. Like that idea has, has been resonating with me as well for a long time. Like I didn't have the exact quote, but mm-hmm. the idea of going into what you're interested in, right? getting, exactly. getting good at it. 
and then making your career and actually being productive with it. Like, that's... It's... I guess, like... Pause. No, I, I definitely get what you're saying. So, like, there's a business professional that I, you know, that I uh, work with here um, mm-hmm. named Billy O'Connell. Mm-hmm. And that's why I keep making the distinction between job and work. So yeah. for him, he always says work is what you do when you can't make your job your work. Yeah. Work is like, you know, I have a job at Blockbuster, but my job is, you know, a DJ or, you know, a film producer whatever right and so until you can make that job your work you have to kind of differentiate this too so i definitely get what you're saying there um and so you know those are the things that i think are definitely driving us forward uh at least for this week Mm -hmm. and i think that they are just going to be built upon um now the thing that we kind of mentioned at the beginning of the podcast was that we're going to be looking at individuals who have already become 30 under 30 a 30 under 30 was something that was started by Forbes in 2011. Um, you know, there's already been like the 40 under 40 thing, but this was something that's fairly new. Uh, and there's 20 categories. I think the first year there was only 12, but still at this point, there is 20 categories yeah. of 30 people under the age of 30. Now, that's is insane. it one person for each category or is no? It- so there's, there's, there's 30 people in each category. Okay. But if you think about it, that's actually still a crazy low number because they get somewhere between 10 to 20,000 submissions, right? Yeah. Uh, like for, uh, overall, not necessarily for every single category, but overall they get that many, but 30 times 20 is 600 people. Yeah. So, you know, even if, not you, a lot of even, if you're, even if you're taking the minimum of 10,000, that is literally like 6%. Yeah. So like that's, that's not a lot of room for success really, like at least to becoming a 30 under 30. Yeah. Um, and a lot of these people are definitely kind of getting in under the wire. So that's also kind of like a very impressive thing to me is that some people are getting these at 28, 29. Yeah. Um, but then some people get it at like 23, 24, 25. Um, so this week we're starting with, uh, the category of media, um, from the very first class, the class of 2011. Uh, the reason why we chose media, uh, was because of the fact that, you know, the, the, one of the initial driving forces of this was Griffin McElroy, who is a media luminary, uh, so 30 under 30, TM. 30 under 30, TM, 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 TM. Uh, so you know, I guess that's their TM, but you get, you get, oh well, yeah, point. we're, we're referencing the TM in respect to them. Right. We are bowing down to their to their knowledge. Uh, so we're going to kind of talk about their personal journeys, like what their roadmap looked like, the stops they made. And then we're going to kind of discuss how we think that could maybe work for us and what kind of business adventures we could maybe get into based on some of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, so who wants to start us off? Well, so how about I start off with this one? So mm-hmm. my profile for this week is Minia Huja. She is a hedge fund specialist, producer, author journalist and she started her path to being in hedge funds when she was 17 years old um she had applied for an internship at Citigroup, and she would and she thought that because she's good at math she'd just get a teller position however she ended up landing a position at the global headquarters at their banking division to assist with company spreadsheets on um, the person she was working under event didn't come back on maternity leave and then she was kept on in the interim and then as a result of this she ended up you know getting more experience, getting more duties, and then she just you know, went, went from there. Um, 
She received training as a credit risk analysis and became actually one of the youngest persons in New York to get a Series 7 license. Now, do you know what a Series 7 license is? I actually don't. I was literally just about to ask you because that's the first thing you've said that I (laughs) didn't understand. So with the Series 7 license, it's necessary in order to process trades with different corporate securities. So it's you, you kind of need to, to start dealing in big amounts of money. Um, right. With, so the test is administered by the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, so the FINRA, FINRA um, and with the test itself. So it's a six-hour test. You get three hours in the morning, Lord. you get a one-hour break, and then three hours in the afternoon. There are 250 multiple choice questions on this test, and you need to get a 72% passing score in order to, well, obviously pass the test. And the different components <laughs> are functions, tasks, knowledge, statements, and rule knowledge. And now the prerequisite for this is that you need to be sponsored by a financial company who is a member of FINRA or a self-regulatory organization, SRO. And now there's a bit of a catch-22 with this. In order to get a job in financial securities, you need this license. But in order to take the test, you need a job in financial securities. So it's... That's like, God, (laughs) even in banking, it's the issue of like, if you want to be a waiter, you have to have five years of waiting experience. But it's like, then how do I get that experience if I don't have the job yet? So it's like, oh. It's, it, it seems crazy. like you need to get either have a connection for it or you need to have an in. Well, you need to have a connection or have an in or just get really lucky. But obviously people have done this before, so it's not an impossibility. But like it's you, you still need to get like that golden ticket to get in. Can I tell you real quick that yeah. the second you said you have to get you might have to get lucky immediately in my head. I was like, we're at the bank to get lucky. <laughs> um. So along with receiving um, the Series Seven's license, she eventually moved on to Merrill Lynch as a global economics and equity research intern. And then she eventually became one of the youngest reporters on the Wall Street Journal's money and investing team. So, I mean, we're already behind in the game. I'm 28. I mean, 25. You're 27. So, yeah. Um, so in 2008, she became CNBC's hedge fund specialist. And she became a producer on Squawk Box. So it's an early morning program, which is the, go- the quote-unquote go-to destination for the business world. And they provide viewers a curated perspective on the big names in the financial world. Hmm. Now, there's never been any other program that's provided such, like, I, I, I don't I hate to use the word again, curated, but like such a curated look at hedge funds. Um, there was actually a billionaire hedge fund titan named David Tepper. He made his first TV appearance, and based on his observations, there was like a two week like spike in the markets. So mm-hmm. like this, the show does have a lot of impact. It's viewed by a lot of people, and a lot of, and a lot of people like hold it in high regard. Actually, two thousand nine, it received the two uh, the Enterprise Award for in depth coverage of the industry. And in twenty twelve, she released her first book, The Alpha Masters: Unlocking the Genius of the World's Top Hedge Funds. So let me go through Amazon.com with you real quick. So it's got. Okay. Four out of five stars, so you know it's it's up there. Uh, I don't yeah. know where that extra star went, but um, and it's the quote unquote ultimate behind the curtain look at the hedge fund industry, unlocking the most valuable stories, secrets, and lessons directly from those who have played the games best. Um, it provides prof- pro- profiles on a lot of big names in the industry, including John Paulson, David Tepper, Big Ackman. Um, what else? Um, it's broken down in, by different strategies. So you have long and short, event arbitrage, value, macro, and all their stuff like that. And let me give you some of the reviews here. So, 
Let's start with, actually, Forbes review. So the Forbes wrote that the book is far from just a quick look at how these managers invest their money. It helps you understand who these hedge fund managers really are, which make what makes them tick, what motivates them, and what most interestingly, and perhaps most interestingly, how they handle failure. So... I as I've as I've been researching this, I've got I've been getting the impression that not like this is a secretive thing, mm-hmm. but if you're not in the industry, you don't know what's going on. So it provides like not only just like a layman perspective on thing, but it just opens it up to so many more people, so so many more people actually understand what's happening with it. That's that that's something that I think that a lot of industries could really afford to have. Yeah. Um, something that I've noticed, you know, for instance, just within like my college courses, you know, yeah. uh, I'm a music industry studies uh, major. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely a lot of stuff that like people have wrong. You yeah. know what I mean? Like in their ideas of how the music industry works. Um, and it's crazy to me how wrong some of these things are. And so like th- there, there really could be, there really is a need for this sort of like almost like Rosetta Stone, yeah. You know, for people of any industry, from the for, for people who are outside of whatever industry they're wanting to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, real quick, I just want to point out to everybody out there: uh, sending yourself something in the mail does not count as copywriting something. <laughs> So stop doing that. If you're if you're recording a song, putting it on a CD, and then mailing it to yourself, that does not count as copyright. And whoever told you that is probably the same person who said Marilyn Manson uh, took out some of his ribs so that he could. Uh, um, might want to cut that yeah. out. Maybe. Just stop know. wasting we'll postage. <laughs> yeah, stop wasting postage. Um, so I guess going into the show Squawk Box. So this. I believe this is a part of what got her onto the Forbes 30 under 30 list. So mm-hmm. it, I'd mentioned how it's, you know, morning talk program has a lot of um, interesting names in the business. Um, actually, you know what? Let's skip cut out on that since I've already talked about that. Uh, do you think that was enough of a uh, overview? That's, oh, yeah, I think so. Okay, then why don't we go into your person? So the person that I have this week is Sarah Austin. Uh, she's also part of the 2011 30 under 30 media luminaries. Uh, she is both. Uh, nope. <laughs> you almost got it. Almost got it. <laughs> I've messed up a very simple word, which is the word most. All right. Moist. So the person that I have is Sarah Austin. Uh, she is also a 2011 30 under 30 media luminary. Uh, at the time of being awarded, she was 25 years old, which is how old I believe you are. Uh, yes. And that's a year younger than I am. So I'm definitely, you know, a little behind schedule. I am 26, not 27, as Alex uh, earlier said. Sorry. Thank you very much. No, I'm kidding. It's okay. Uh, you just so- look so mature. You look so mature. Oh, thank you, Alex. Uh, so she is best known as uh, like an internet personality uh, as well as an entrepreneur. Um, now, the thing is, is that, you know, while doing my research, there was kind of a little bit less uh, easily tracked down like timeline mm-hmm. for some of her life. Uh, so we're kind of going to be jumping around just a little bit here and there. Um and uh, one of the things that I found to be kind of the most unreliable sources uh, was actually her education. Um, there was just a lot of schools thrown out there, but no years in which they were done. Uh, so, you know, from what I gathered, um, it appears as if she went to San Francisco State University for film and broadcast mm-hmm. and then later transferred to Parsons, the new school for design in New York City. Um 
And then at the same year that she got the Forbes honorific, she went to Dominican University of California as a business management student. Hmm. Something that she did in 2007 uh, that I really dig is she was a life caster for a project called Justin.TV. Life casting is essentially like streaming, but in the sense that you're constantly streaming and it's your day-to-day, not your current run of Bloodborne where you're only using your hands, no guns. Uh, She was... Yeah, so like basically it's this thing where uh, the the guy who started it, right, um, you know, uh, he had basically set it up so that like he had a uh, a, a camera on him at all times. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even if he changed rooms or even changed buildings, he was in a constant, you know, a constant streaming setup. Uh, so so guess, a lot of it was point of view. I guess my um, question is yes. like, what is, I guess what would, I mean, I, I can see with like, well, let me, let me start over. I guess my question is like, what would be the appeal of that? I mean, I can see with, like, a Big Brother kind of situation where, I mean, it's part game show and then you're, I mean, it's watching the day-to-day and watching the drama unfold. Yeah, so I think it definitely depends, right? So, like, Mm -hmm. some people, uh, I think, are definitely the type of people who are probably just doing almost nothing. I mean, there's definitely people who I think still do that, you know? In a way, think of it as, like, a continuous vlog, right? Yeah. Um, But for her, she was definitely, like, a big person within like the tech business industry Mm -hmm. so she was kind of like doing things like popping up into uh silicon valley tech parties Hmm. and stuff like that so like that to me i can definitely see why there would be a major appeal for that because she was already you know talking about these things yeah and also yeah definitely like it was a big personality yeah um so that was kind of like one of the bigger things and i think that led to her like the thing that uh, Forbes had basically as like the what she is known for, mm-hmm. um, which is a series called Pop Seventeen. Um, it was a web series and also a blog that she launched in two thousand eight, uh, and it was this tech business oriented um, like thing that was just basically like interviews of business owners of internet celebrities and reviews or retellings of like kind of big tech events okay. um so if something if something major was unveiled uh there was like a video and or a blog to discuss you know basically what was talked about what was seen you know um and mm-hmm. so i think the live streaming mixed with that i think kind of like brought together this idea of like where video and uh, life and technology really kind of fully come together. Certainly. Um, well, and especially if you're trying to provide a, like a, f- I, I, I hate to use the word curated again, but just like a full look at not only what's going on in the tech industry, how that's influencing entertainment through like internet media, well, well, internet personalities. And also like if you have like a big figurehead, just like knowing or like having a glimpse of what they're doing and like how they're creating and what they're producing. Right. I could see that being like a nice glue to tie everything together. Absolutely. Um, and I think this is kind of the things that kind of started putting her in the minds of people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she had been named in a, quite a few publications, uh, you know, listings uh, for things like influential women in blogging or in media or the tech news world. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, of course, something that I think was also kind of smart on her point um, and definitely kind of got, you know, her foot in the door, I guess you could say with Forbes 
uh, for the 30 under 30 was before they did that whole 30 under 30 thing. She was actually reporting and writing for the Forbes like website and like hmm. their magazine and stuff. Yeah. Now the thing is, is that when you look at like a Forbes 30 under 30 list, they yeah. very frequently give you like just a very, very brief thing of like, this is kind of what they're known for. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think that very frequently those things are not as telling as they can be. Cause like for instance, Right. If you look at the Griffin McElroy one, mm-hmm. it says that he was like one of the co-founders of Polygon. But I do think that most people probably don't even know him for that. Now, maybe if you're in the gaming industry, right, you yeah. would because they're a media company all about, you know, the journalism and video content creation about video games and stuff like that. And weren't but, they heavily involved? Well, not heavily involved, but they had a big part in Gamergate, too, at least on the reporting of it. Right. Right. Yeah. And but the thing is that, like, for them he has so much more media that he is a part of, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, but I do think that, in a way, Polygon was a jumping-off point, so that's why they, they start that off, right? So yeah. even though Sarah Austin had been to many of these tech parties and, you know, been doing all these things... Whoops, sorry, I just hit my mic. So even though Sarah Austin had been doing these things uh, and been going to tech parties and reporting on these things, mm-hmm. they only have her down as, like, you know, Pop 17. Uh, yeah. And, of course, in the time since between now and... 2011 she's definitely had a lot of different things that you know can be added so for her she has quite a few things like if you go out to her website which is just her name you know yeah. uh sarahaustin.com so she has quite a few things that she has on there and i think that this is also very smart because it's like right from the get-go you know exactly what she's all about mm-hmm. so she is a data scientist a storyteller a marketer a growth hacker an influencer technologist product manager and author now the author wow. is you know the thing about uh contributing to entrepreneur magazine online mm-hmm. um and doing the thing for like the forbes video new, uh, network and you know forbes.com uh she was actually i've i've heard of this before but i've never actually been out there but she was a video journalist for uh a group called TechCrunch. i've heard um, of them yeah yeah and so you know she's also um in the process uh according to her website of completing a book series on trends in online marketing, deep listening, and big data for marketing. Hmm. Um, now, the thing is, I want to kind of take a quick sidestep here. So on it, it says growth hacker. Growth hacking is something that there's actually a book out there about it called growth hacking. Um, I would definitely suggest it if you're Question. looking. Yes. Now, is it growth hacker or grow thacker? No, growth hacking. Okay. Like the the growth of a business, right? I I, so, I, I, I get it. It was a yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, um, yeah. Well, growth well, hacking yeah, okay. is no goof. <laughs> growth hacking is very serious, uh, Alex. No, okay. so gone. <laughs> so basically, you know, she is actually a Johns Hopkins certified data scientist, Ooh. um, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, like you know, like certified kind of yeah. thing. like not certified not badass. Like, yeah, basically, you know, so so good data is basically how you make good decisions, right? Mm-hmm. Because without the right data, like you can't know what to do next. Growth hacking is often about knowing, you know, like the people that you're trying to appeal to, you know, and yeah. like what that supply and demand is mm-hmm. and also like what your demographics and your psychographics are. Um, you know, those um, are, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Those are all very, very important things. Um, and so she has... Uh, kind of like we were talking about earlier, she did finish that Dominican University of California uh, business strategy degree. Uh, it's a BA. Got that 
John Hopkins University certified data scientist. Mm-hmm. And she actually was one of the first people to complete Stanford's new media studies program, which oh. I think is also pretty cool because Stanford um, does have a lot of cool stuff with uh, dealing with media and new media. Mm-hmm. Um, so the last thing that I wanted to talk about, though, was um, uh, what was actually what growth hacking is and I think mm-hmm. why it's so uh, important. Um, so growth hacking is about how in today's society, right? You know, you don't, um, you can't just have like, uh, like a madman type marketing firm, right? It's not quite that simple anymore. You a know, I thought you were going to say Mad Max and that painted a completely that also, different image. image. That <laughs> also sometimes doesn't work, but surprisingly <laughs> Mad Max agencies can actually do a lot of good for some companies pringles went with a mad max campaign <laughs> incredible i like dude they let just... me tell you once you pop that desert don't stop that guitar player right on you know on top of the truck boom does not stop does incredible not stop tm um t- tm <laughs> uh i will say the one person that tried the mad max campaign and it just did not work out for is burger king burger king you knew better than that seriously burger Stop. king like you, you knew better putting putting the blood in the burgers like it's you, you, you can't <laughs> sell rare fast food it just doesn't work it doesn't hold uh, well the Levi's one is also very good, uh, and not Levi's. I met Wrangler. Whoa, sorry. Uh, that was actually led by Brett Favre, great mm-hmm. spokesman. Anyway, so the thing is about this is that you know a lot of <laughs> marketing and like so, uh, sorry to interrupt, but like did 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 you remember Brett Favre's blood curdling scream when he ran into the desert? That was <laughs> that is my favorite part of that movie. Yes. <laughs> Um, so the, the thing about growth marketing or growth hacking is just the fact that like, you know, um, the book actually about growth hacking is, is, is very, very good. It talks all about these different companies that have had major changes within them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Instagram is actually a very good, uh, example of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the idea though, is that, like I said, mad men type kind of thing is just not quite as susceptible to working these days. A lot of it is actually about coding. Yeah. Like within like a computer and like internet speech, um, and so Instagram actually I forgot what the original uh, title of the program was, but Instagram used to be a thing where it was kind of like Foursquare in a way where you would go to a coffee shop mm-hmm. and you would check into coffee places and all this other stuff, and the thing is that the app was failing, but the thing is that there was one function that people really seemed to love when you went out to like to the app store and looked at the reviews people loved the photo yeah uh capability because you, you would take photos of your coffee mm-hmm. and you would have different or, or of the space you know like the if it's like this nice like not starbucks but like think of like that mom paw shop where it's like the weird 1950s lighting and like specific styles of art you know but like, was it specifically geared towards coffee or was it just like that was a no yeah thing? it was it was like geared towards coffee um, huh. coffee houses that's, that's and a so, really weird niche it is, it is. And the thing is, sometimes that's exactly what you need, but in this case, it just wasn't working out, right? Yeah. And so the thing is that the, the two things that people loved the most was the photos and the filters. Yeah. So instead of saying, okay, it's time to scrap the entire company, they said, what if we just kind of like did like a relaunch, like a soft relaunch? Mm-hmm. And they changed the name and they changed the product to be just literally take a picture, put a filter on it, post it. Um, and like that now they're worth, you know, billions of dollars because they're part of the Facebook franchise, you know? 
I, with Instagram, like it's a nice case study in just salvaging something that you've already started. You know, even if you have a project that's going downhill, it's easy to get just to get discouraged and just to say, "Well, screw it, just stop, start over." But like they salvaged what worked and they made it work. It's interesting because, like, as a company that, well, with us, like, us making our own company, like, we're still trying to figure out, like, what works and what doesn't work. But eventually, we're going to find that there will be things that maybe just don't work. But instead of just stopping the whole project itself, like, we'd, we'd be able to focus on, you know, what does work and how can we grow it further from there. And I think going back to the people that we talked about, there are a lot of interesting, you know, threads that we can pull from them. So like with, um, with Miss Ahuja, like what I found interesting is that, well, and even with your, um, your case study, like she got experience in a field, got experience with it from multiple perspectives. And then she dug out a nice niche in it. Because, like, with finance and hedge funds, it seemed like there it, there wasn't really, like, a centralized resource, like, to, well, start over. It seemed like there wasn't really a centralized resource for this sort of information. Right. But with, well, having this sort of, well, again, to use the word centralized resource, like, it had, it, it's had, like, a, a market effect on, well, the market. Like with the Tepper rally, where it had like a two week rise in the in I don't I don't know if it was a stock market, but but it had a positive benefit in the industry, um, and I guess going from there, like, well, I guess applying it to the scavengers. I guess my question is, what can we do to dig out a niche in our market, and then how can we find find a way to cater to a large group of people? Or I guess like st- taking a step back from that, what is our industry? What is our market? So here's kind of the way I see it, right, is that we're a group that initially started off as kind of like a, it it literally was like, hey, as a hobby, let's play video games on YouTube. Yeah. Right. Um, And it's just one of those things where as time went on and as we started talking to more people, um, just about things outside of our channel, it wasn't even like we were telling them about what we do. For instance, um, the artist who does our icons, Yapat, right? Talking to Yapat and seeing how this incredibly talented individual, uh, you know, he is, you know, working, right? And has his job. And so he wants to make his job, his, you know, his work. But like, sometimes like, it is very hard to just get out there and break into a scene. Certainly. Um, And the thing is that like, even if you are someone like Sarah Austin, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there is a possibility that just because you're doing these things like going to, uh, like not breaking and entering, what's the word for it? Like crashing these tech parties, right? Yeah. That's what she was originally doing. That was kind of what, it was almost like her fun, but it was her passion, right? Yeah. But there was somewhere where like she kind of had like, yes, she was working very hard, but there is always just one small smidgen of luck of being in the right place at the right time, mm-hmm. right? And turning that passion into your job and yeah. into your work. And so for someone like, yeah, Pat, right? Mm-hmm. It just is going to take like the right person to see his stuff at the right time. Yeah. And so we started talking about how can we change what we're doing? And so we're still doing things like playing video games, but we said, well, let's start trying new forms of media, 
Yeah. Right. And that's the reason why, you know, I'm trying to build this media empire, not because I'm trying to like hoard all this stuff like I'm Smaug and the different forms of media are my gold and treasure. But more of that, you know, I really like the business program uh, or the business plan of Maximum Fun. Right. You have a whole bunch of podcasts that are completely different in so many ways, but they all come together to support a major group, which then in turn promotes them. Yeah. And gives them a roof and like a place that they can create this art and like have the time and ability to do so. Yeah. And so that's kind of what this has grown into. We have decided that like we want to start putting out the word about artists and, you know, getting out the content that we want to see. Because the thing is, is that if you want to see something made, you can't just wait around for it to be made. You have to make it. Yeah. Um, and that was the reason why we started playing video games. And it's the reason why we started this podcast. It's the reason why we're starting a lot of things. Yeah. So taking all these things that we've talked about today, you know, uh, like I said, there is a little bit of luck, but there is a certain bit of drive and knowing how to be in that right place at the right time and having those resources, you know? Um, so for you, right. It was all about, uh, one of the, one of those big opportunities was the lady who was on maternity leave, not coming back. Yeah. Right. That Mm -hmm. was a major, major like luck thing. That was being in the right place at the right time. For me, it was the fact that then Forbes says, hey, we see that you do a lot of like, you know, like video journalism. Mm -hmm. Why don't you come in and do something for here? And so then when they start doing their own 30 under 30, they're like, you know, we do have someone who works for us who's like crazy young and does this stuff. Yeah. Let's put it on the list, right? So I think that there's definitely some st- some really cool things to, to, to latch on to. Certainly. Um, and I think for – at least for our own channel, I guess one thing we could keep in mind is what – at least like say if we just take YouTube as our medium. Mm-hmm. What else can we do within that medium apart from just playing video games? Like one thing you touched on was bringing attention to other creators like doing interviews and just putting the spotlight on somebody else. Um, right. Which is the premise of another series that we do called Culture Shock, which uh, airs every Friday on the Scavengers Network. Make sure to check it out. TM, Shameless TM. plug. TM, 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 TM. Um, but I guess like going out, I, I guess even going further outside of that, like what could we do like just to provide a resource? Because, you know, I, I, I don't, I guess I don't know as much the YouTube landscape because I, I imagine there are a lot of people who keep up to date on YouTube trends. But is there anybody that really like sits down and says, okay, so there's going to be this change. Here's what it means for creators. Here's what it means for what you're doing right now. Um, There is a little bit, but I, this is something that I've been thinking about for a long time. Yeah. So, you know, let's take, uh, not to keep kind of going back to my person, but again, it's that thing of like, this is the person that like I researched. So I kind of see their thing. Mm -hmm. So for her, like, yeah, Sarah Austin had all that like great tech world stuff going on but pop 17 was having that way of having the web series and blog within her own world Mm -hmm. within this other giant bubble yeah um and so i know that our bubble is not going to be able to encompass every last thing within the arts industry but what we do want is a community right much like Rooster Teeth, much like Maximum Maximum Fun, Fun, where people can come in and talk about their craft. And YouTube is a thing that 
it's getting kind of dangerous right now. There's this huge like adpocalypse 2.0, 2.5 even. You know, people are getting demonetized sometimes even for literally nothing. Yeah. Like there's nothing controversial and they're still getting demonetized. Yeah. Uh, and the thing is, is that as much as they can say that they show other videos of other people, very frequently it, it is it is definitely catered to you. And so if you start watching a whole bunch of Achievement Hunter videos very often your sidebar is going to be nothing but achievement hunter videos, maybe some fun house because they are in videos together. Yeah. Right. But very freak, very rarely I find game grumps videos in the sidebar for achievement hunter videos. Yeah. Right. So there is a major disconnect of the underdog being able to be found on YouTube. There is a lot of noise in that world of YouTube. Certainly. So Pop17 gives me the idea that when we get the ability to, maybe it's time that we create a platform of our own. Certainly. Or well, and maybe even maybe taking a step back from creating our own platform, which I do support, maybe we could also take a look at interviewing other create well, I guess going back to the idea of interviewing other creators, but like interviewing like larger creators, like maybe like maybe with Oni Plays. So like talking with them like how does the current changes in youtube's ad structure affect you because i remember they re they post um compilation videos of like moments from thing like a series of videos that they work on but they recently mm -hmm. had to re-upload all of them because there was an issue maybe they were too long maybe there was something else that happened but they had to take them all down and re-upload them so like I, I guess the question would be what were the changes that caused you to do that and how does that affect not only what you had past videos but what you're doing now like does it change a source of revenue does it change like a source of content you know yeah um i will definitely like within our um like show notes and stuff like that mm -hmm. uh, i will do my best to remember to link a video on on youtube or rooster teeth uh made by bernie burns mm -hmm. all about how they do with profit and stuff like that and so yeah. like the thing is like the reason why we're also doing this thing where we're diversifying past video games and trying to get into other, these other media forms mm -hmm. um is also that you know right now we're not you know uh doing the profit right now our whole thing is about making connections yeah right? and raising awareness like right now those are the two main things that we're concerned with Bonds. um and and the thing about it though is that <laughs> In the end, YouTube has affected a lot of people mm -hmm. for income, yeah. and they've had to start diversifying, and in a way, it's almost too late in the game, or more like it's so late that like they hit some kind of hard times for a few months because of the fact that their pay, like, uh, I can't remember who it was, but I do remember seeing a video about how someone lost 75% of their income, of their Jesus. monthly income. Right. And yeah. like they weren't even necessarily like that wasn't their only income, but yeah. it was the thing like they had college loans that they were paying off. Yeah. And YouTube was paying off their college loans, their car loan or like the, 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 the their car payments and I think their cell phone bill. Yeah. And I think what they were left over with was uh, after all these this adpocalypse, they only had enough to pay for like their cell phone bill. Jesus. Yeah. So it's like, you know, there are some major, major changes. So being able to have these other forms of media 
um, is very important. And that's why, you know, for, for your, uh, for your like, uh, research, right? Yeah. There was squawk box, but there was also financial institutions. There was also writing books, right? Yeah. So like, that's already just three, I mean like financial institutions, but like being able to work within that field Certainly. and also talk to people. So that's three things like even like a form of conversation, even if it's not recorded, mm-hmm. is in a not necessarily a media form, but it is a piece of content that that person who's on the other side of the conversation will have and remember and take to heart. Um, so I think like the big thing that we can kind of take away, and I think that we're already kind of making that first step on, is diversifying and having these other pieces to this to this puzzle these yeah. other things that we can do um and then my last idea is just like i don't think that i'm necessarily going to start live casting but no. um i do think that perhaps more like actual videos about like behind the scenes mm-hmm. or more of like how we do this or more how do you do depth. that right but like it's like you know tell me what that mouth do um <laughs> but of our personal industry of our personal company like yeah you know, what is it that our day to day looks like? You know, what is it that makes us tick? Um, and I think that that is something that, you know, for her got her start on a lot of these big, you know, like video journalism things. And I think that that is a good thing to take to heart. I feel like with the, with the idea of like a behind the scenes, like you need enough of a following where enough people would care about that. But then like, say with the person that you researched, like, I feel like a part of, well, a part of what made her so popular was that these behind the scene things were also included in her image. So it's kind of, I guess, going back to like the series seven test where in order to take it, you need to be sponsored by a financial institution, but you need Mm -hmm. to get into a financial institution. So like, at what point do you introduce the behind the scenes? Like, do you wait until enough people ask for it or do you just provide it as like an extra source of information? Like, Hey, this is what we do. And is like a way to also develop your personality. Cause I feel like they're, a big thing with this medium is having a personality, like say within our own ranks, like, right. like Graham Thompson, he is involved with a group called anime unlocked. He does a show where he discuss, it, it's like a discussion about different, different shows. And like, he's already developing like his own following. He has his own show. He streams on their unlocked app. And like, I'm he, so glad that you brought this up too, because like, yeah. I, this was literally an example that I was going to bring up like Graham. Like I'm like, I'm very proud of Graham because I think that, uh, you know, he was kind of the first person to kind of hit the ground running with some of the lessons that we learned within our personal, yeah, like like oh, not personal within our business, yeah, and take it and like kind of start building his own brand, yeah. uh, even outside of it, yeah. Um, and that's something that I'm now starting to do. Like, I'm the one who like basically you know got sat down with people and said, "Hey, would you be interested in doing this?" And like, I'm the the I'm one of the people who's la- you know last to this game. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. But like Graham is like. Graham had an idea for a show and took it. So his show is called um, the anime book club, which is essentially like the way a book club would work where everyone instead of, but it's sorry, but instead of everyone reading the same thing, everyone watches the same show and then they discuss it. Right. Um, and uh, he actually gets to interview people who do like voice acting for these shows yeah. or that direct these shows. And that's insane. Like he got like a huge success, like right off the bat. Yeah. But the thing is that he took a chance. And I think that that's what this is all about. And I think that's kind of what you were aiming at. Certainly. And so my response, though, about, you know, when do we pull out those behind the scenes things? I say you start now. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, 
the more content you make, right, I think the better. Because there are some people who have very successful business models mm-hmm. with very little stuff, such as um, Joe Sanagato. Mm-hmm. He puts out a video every Tuesday. That's it. He does have a podcast that comes out on Mondays, and he has another show that I don't know where it necessarily gets uploaded to. I've seen two episodes of it, um, but it's all about calling people who have Craigslist ads. Yeah. And like seeing what their whole deal is about. And I think that show is fantastic, by the way. I, I like I just discovered it like a couple of days ago. Nice. I'm gonna do more research on it. But I guess that's the thing, ca- like oh, go ahead. putting out put, putting out those forms of entertainment, putting out that content, whether or not Okay, let me let me run this back one second. Mm-hmm. There is a musical called Title of Show, mm-hmm. and there is a very specific quote that I have always been a fan of, which is, I'd rather be nine people's favorite thing than a hundred people's ninth favorite thing. Right? Yeah. Now, at the same time, will I complain if a hundred people say that I'm their ninth favorite thing? No. But I do want to just put out the content that, for me, I want to see, right? Because there's content that, of all these content creators that I love and adore, but they're not putting out certain things that I know I want to see. Yeah. And so, if there happens to be someone who's like me, who says that, but they don't go out and make it either, then neither of us will ever see it. But if I put that out there, and then they get to see it, they'll go, oh my god, thank you so much. Yeah. I have been waiting for a run of Octodad all the way through. With four, with people, four people on roulette mode just being complete assholes to each other. Exactly. You know, or, you know, I don't think there's enough things like Culture Shock where they talk to, like, smaller people. I don't want to call these these people that we're interviewing smaller, but you know what I'm saying. People, people who haven't had short the big stature. break. No. People who haven't had the big break yet. Yeah. Right? Because you never know when that is going to be the thing that gets them seen. Yeah. And I think that that's very, very important. Me too. For you, you know, when, when do you find it best to put out content for yourself? You know, whether that's on our channel or your personal music that you make outside of our group. You know, I guess it's just whenever I feel like it's done, you know, with like, with, so I put out a CD a little while ago. I, shameless plug and i didn't really feel like it was done until i mean i had well i mean mean, you had things like getting the artwork done getting like a um, press release written all those sort of things but also when i felt emotionally ready because it came from a very emotional place for me and Mm -hmm. i wanted to i didn't want to put it out with either not telling the whole story or telling too much of the story you know what i mean but i definitely understand that there's also with the concept of, well, with the idea of availability, like there's some shows that I've wanted to do where sometimes it, it just doesn't work out. Like there was a show that I'd wanted to do where it would be doing a similar thing to Culture Shock, but like things more in my area, but then it, it plans for just kind of fell through. There's another show that I wanted to bring up within the scavengers itself where we just really haven't had time to record it. So that's the idea where um, it's the learning with series. So like we have one person who's really good at the game. No other people aren't really good at the game. And then you try and teach the people at the highest difficulty. So with a lot of that, it's finding the time to do it. Everybody having the right game and also people being interested in the right game or maybe not being interested, but just being open to trying it. I think that, you know, this, We've, we've, we've talked a lot of, we've talked about rather a lot of really good things here today. 
And so I think the thing that I want to kind of leave on is, you know, something to, to maybe kind of consider here for the following week is these people definitely packaged themselves extremely well. Mm -hmm. I think that was kind of the main thing that I, that I kind of took away from this. I think media is definitely very package driven. Certainly. Uh, LOL, you know, about the word package. Um, Although we were just doing like a package, like, you know, an actual like item. I mean, technically your, your package, your package is still an item, but yes. Uh, yes. So no, but so my thing is, is that they very clearly had an idea of what it was to be them and they inserted themselves into these industries and it was almost like guerrilla marketing in a way, Mm -hmm. but within their own industry to get people like, Hey, like, you look, look at this, like, you know, look, I'm here at this party. I'm going to blog about it later. I'm going to do a retelling of everything that happened here. Yeah. So, you know, we should over this week, I think, consider how can we start breaking into more of our stuff. So like when we say that we want to be more involved in the arts community Mm -hmm. and give a literal community for those people to like have a place to showcase themselves and showcase their works, right? Yeah. How can we both give them like a full package sort of Mm -hmm. thing to show themselves and how can we show ourselves? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's the thing that I think I'm going to be focusing on based on all of this. Cause I think that, uh, I think that they both had a lot of really good steps that like, that I would like to implement. I, I think, you know, not everyone's path is going to have things that work for you, mm-hmm. you know, but I think that like both, both of our people have shown me some things that I would like to try working on. Certainly. And I think another thing that we can also keep in mind is just follow through. Cause like we have, I mean, we already have a lot of threads going with culture shock, but like we, we kind of run into a bit of a barrier with at least like getting some things up and running. But I think at least for me, my, I guess my goal for this week is going to be follow through. It's like following up with these people, following up with some other people like that had showed interest that we haven't had a chance to talk to yet. And then just seeing right. where we go from there. So I totally agree with that. Thanks everyone for joining us. Uh, I think that's going to do us for this first episode of journey under 30. I think we've talked about a lot of really cool stuff and definitely given me some stuff to think about for what I'm going to start looking into in the future. Yeah, me too. Well, so what's one thing that you're going to be working on this week? Uh, I think that I'm going to actually start working on the total, like, uh, the, 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 basically the image and package of what it means to be Colin Parker, I think. Because I think that I'm very frequently been a part of a group, and I think it's time that I start kind of looking at what my individual thing is outside of that, much like Graham does for his show that we've already discussed. Mm-hmm. What about you, Alex? Uh, so this week I am going to be continuing my mixing work. So I have some ideas that I had been working on before, but I never really got a chance to record them. So I'm going to record them and just use them as mixing exercises. Nice. So if you want to find us, you can check us out at Scavengers Network on YouTube. You can also find us at the Scavengers Network on Facebook and at Scavengers Network on Twitter. Scavengers I think we're also on Twitter. Sorry. Scavengers play on Twitter. Yeah, I think we're also on Instagram as well. Yep. 
at the uh, at Scavengers Network. There, the only place that we're not Scavengers Network is Twitter because they have a character limit for the name. Oh, great! Feel free to also check out our other programs. Uh, we, as we mentioned, we have a show called Culture Shock. Um, this week our um our Graham Thompson is taking a look at the game Endless Space Two. You might want to check that out. Um, and I think. Colin, save me. Okay. That show comes out. (laughs) I might have to leave that part in. Okay. Uh, That show comes out every Friday, so be be sure to keep an eye out for it. It is uh, news, reviews, and interviews about the arts industry. So as I said earlier, thanks so much for joining us here on this episode of Journey Under 30. As always, I'm Colin Parker. I'm Alex Taylor. And I'll see you on the Forbes list. I'll see you in my dreams. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.